ESPN The Far Post podcast. We're back for our usual dub debrief, so let's get into this stuff. Before we begin, though, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands we're recording on today, so the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and we'd like to pay our respects to their elders past and present. But we had lots of A-League women action to talk about. We've done the Matildas squad pod, so if you want to listen to that, it is already there for your listening pleasure. Today is all about the A-League women. So let's start with some you love to see it because we do love to see things. So Sam, what did you love to see this weekend? So this weekend I loved to see Courtney Vine, who has just been called up to the Matildas training camp in Dubai, absolutely send Perth Glory's Sarah Carroll to the shops several times, but particularly in the build-up to one of the four goals that Sydney scored in that game on Saturday. She stood up Sarah Carroll near the byline. She nutmegged her like putting a thread through a needle eye and charged towards goal to set up uh, the goal scorer, who I think was Mackenzie Hawksby or Remy Simpson. It was just such fun. It was such flair. It was such confidence and the exactly the kind of moment that really encapsulates the kind of season that I think Courtney Vine's having this year. So Courtney Vine, doing a nutty. RIP Sarah Carroll. We love to see it. That sounds so bad out of context, but we did love to see it. Angela, what did you love to see this weekend? I love to see Ash Sykes scoring. Um, so she, yeah, well, Canberra did lose, but uh, she came on in the second half and she managed to get one back against um, Adelaide. Alira Toby sent over this delightful cross from the right-hand side of the field and Ash Sykes just like sort of flung her entire body at it, got ahead on it, and it sort of, it went high, but the angle was so awkward that um, Annalie Grove just like couldn't reach it, just out out of reach from her fingertips. So, yeah, Ash Sykes getting a goal. Um, and also, yeah, Ash, I guess we talked about this a lot earlier this this um, dub season, but Ash Sykes doing things just generally. We love that. She was really energetic um, in that second half for Canberra. So, yeah, you love to see it. Honestly, she was so good. I got hyped watching her and I was just sitting on my couch in my lounge room, but I was there ready to run through a wall just by what Ash Sykes was doing. But, um. Harrow, what did you love to see this weekend? I love to see Caitlin Torpy hit an absolute banger, like real goal of the season contender. Um, Wellington Phoenix versus Melbourne City. Um, Holly McNamara, who's also just been called into the Matildas training camp, puts in a cross. Katie Taylor from Wellington clears it with a header, but only so far as Caitlin Torpy, who streams in and gets her foot over it beautifully and just on the half volley hits this incredible sort of skidding, spinning shot, totally unstoppable. Um, past poor old uh, Lily Alfeld and yeah it, it just took the wind out of poor Wellington sails and uh yeah it didn't go too well for them from there but yeah just a world-class strike from Caitlin Torpy you absolutely love to see it got to give a shout out there to the I think it was the A-League social media person who dubbed it a torpedo it was very it was a visual joke it was good it doesn't sound that great when I try and say it but it was an absolutely excellent goal but I think That game is where we will start our discussion uh, for this week's episode. So it was Melbourne City for Wellington nil. It was a real weird one because on the kind of score sheet, it looks like a comprehensive City win, but Wellington showed a lot more than that scoreline kind of suggested. So 
Harrah, I know you were just talking about it, but tell us a little bit more about kind of how good Wellington were despite the kind of scoreline. Yeah, um, I was covering that game um, for AAP and I really felt for Wellington because for the first half hour, they were right in that game. They were really right in the thick of it, um, up to their eyeballs, to be honest, and they were really making City think. And It was funny, actually, at halftime, uh, City were obviously 3-0 up and Rebecca Stock got interviewed by by Channel 10 and was so frustrated and just talking about how they could improve and how much better they could be. And that was the very much the vibe from Rado Vitasic post-match, despite City leading 3-0 at that point. But, yeah, basically, um, Torpy scored that goal um, just before the half hour mark. And it, it, as I said, it took the wind out of their sails a little bit, but what really hurt was um, for the second goal, they, they caught two goals just before half time, which there's no coming back from that really is three nil and, and game was done and dusted. But the first was when um, Melissa Barbieri just sort of hoofed a long ball and Mackenzie Barry's attempted to deal with it. And the header was really poor and, um, basically when you've got a player like Hannah Wilkinson lurking around, she just, and it was a really lovely chip finish, to be honest, like not easy to pull off. She made it look very easy. And that just, um, that was just a hammer blow. And then they, they copped a third just before half time, And it was kind of, kind of sums up. It was very similar to, to the Sydney FC game um, previously, albeit Sydney just put on a clinic last time, but it was like, you get to half time and they settled and they only considered one goal in the second half. But once again, it was a real what might have been. Um, not that they created too many golden opportunities. There was one before the opening goal where Tori Jimmuth just got a, a foot in the way to, to nick away a really dangerous ball. But they they probably should have felt that they should have been 1-0 down probably at best at half time, if not found a way to get an equaliser. And Gemma Lewis basically post-match said as much like... This, this sort of makes them their own worst enemy a little bit in the sense that if you're copping those goals, especially just before half time, it's you're leaving yourself with a lot to come back from. Um, that said, Rado Vidisic echoed what I think Ante Juric said the week before and what a lot of coaches have said is that Wellington is so impressive for a lot of games. They're not just bunnies. Like the results would indicate they are, but they're, they're going at it. They're, they're competitive. They're trying to play good football. They're entertaining but it's just some of those brain fades and just poor moments of execution, especially for, from obviously some quite young players that are probably bringing them undone a little bit. And you you just think what might have been had they been able to land a couple of those more experienced players. Obviously, Wilkinson's been the standout this season, but even, you know, Claudia Bunge at Melbourne Victory or, um, you know, Paige Satchel is sort of coming off the bench or being a depth player at Sydney FC. You go, oh, if you could get a couple of them um, or if, you know, say Annalie Longo was still playing, obviously, you go, what 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 might have been, but it's it's a little bit difficult for them, I think. City, on the other hand, they it's kind of they're clearly putting themselves in a, a top two sort of spot at the moment. They did what they needed to do. They were pretty um, average. Rado Vidasic basically said because of the COVID outbreak, they didn't get to train together properly till Wednesday. And we saw a few players get fatigued. Um, Winona Heatley was one of them that went down with cramp in the second half. And yeah, it was one of those ones where they bit of win ugly, albeit win 4-0 so yeah it's an interesting one sort of real tale of two teams and where they're at right Sam yeah I mean championship sides win when they play badly you know so I think this that was a pretty important sort of statement game from Melbourne City that even though they didn't play well uh they still managed to put four goals past Wellington and I I do feel for Wellington and I agree with you Harry they play really attractive football I really love watching them they're exciting they're forward thinking, they're energetic, they they do all the stuff that 
you really want football teams to do, you know, it's just that they, again, I think they have fitness issues. They do start to fade towards the back end of halves end of games and they just don't, they can't score goals. They've scored one goal in six games. You know, they, I think if they did have someone like a Wilkinson or they had someone like a Satchel, someone who was a bit more experienced at, at that level and in the attacking line, maybe that could be addressed. And I do wonder how much the, I suppose the, the age situation might be getting to them in some ways as well. Like they are very, very young players. They are very inexperienced at this kind of level. And I think back to when I was 17, 18, 19. And if I was copying results like this week after week, like I'd be pretty down on myself as well. It's hard to stay motivated and to stay together and positive when you're copying four or five goals against better teams uh, most weeks. But so I, I do think, um, like I, I, I hope Gemma Lewis and from all evidence uh, in interviews and match reports, she is a, an extremely good person to have in an environment like that. And they obviously have built a really good culture really quickly as well, considering how rapidly they had to try and put together this squad. But they've built something that seems quite special and something that we've said in previous episodes that they can only probably build upon. If they're able to just bring it, like now that they've, because this was the identity season for Wellington, right? This was the season where they needed to come in and tell us who they are and who they want to be. And I think so far, even though they're at the bottom of the ladder, even though they've only scored one goal and they've shipped 18, I think we're getting a sense of who Wellington are as a, as a team, as a club and what they want to do going forward. And so now... I think that lays out sort of a blueprint for what the next couple of seasons could look like. And if they are able to now have the time and have perhaps the investment to go out and cherry pick those players who they need in those certain kinds of positions in center back, in central midfield, up front, then I think the next couple of seasons are going to be really fruitful for them. Sam, it was quite funny after um, the match in the post-match press conference, which was done by Zoom, um, Friend of the pod, Phil Rollo, actually asked Rado Vizicic about Hannah Wilkinson, you know, like how do you get the best out of it? And he basically uh, said, apart from obviously complimenting Wilkinson, but don't worry about her. You should be focusing on some of those players that are playing for Wellington and just was uh, so rapt to be talking about these talented, exciting young players. Um, sure, with a little bit of an eye to maybe next season as well with his coach's hat on. But it was, it's was it been great to see. I think I mentioned it with, with Ante Juric as well. Like these coaches are going, yeah, we're, we're liking what we're seeing from Wellington. And they're going out of their way to actively complement their opposition, which is a really great endorsement and hopefully helps a few of them really keep the faith in, in what they're doing, um, albeit getting a result is the most important thing. It's all well and good to be like, you, you, you're doing great from your opposition that's just um, just beating you. But there, there are some real positive signs to, to come there. It's, not, it's certainly not all uh, doom and gloom there. I think you guys have covered it, but that Hannah Wilkinson goal, when you watch it, it's like you were stealing from a baby. You were stealing candy from a baby. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> anyway, that was – but, yeah, I think – and also the, the city goals, it's one of those ones where it's like – they did win ugly, but all of those goals were um, technically, I think, quite good. So the fact that City are able to convert in those moments and to get them uh, is a little bit scary. They've really found their footing. Um, yeah, I think that's – and also just looking at 
quick maths, the numbers, if you look at, so the 4-0 loss that Perth suffered to Sydney, they were far less in it than when you look at what um, Wellington were doing. So Perth had like four shots to Sydney's 25 and zero corners to Sydney's nine, whereas like Wellington had, let me just find my steps, uh, seven shots to 18 and then like three corners to seven. So obviously, they're, yeah, they're, they're, I'm really impressed by their resilience and the fact that they have been able to come out week after week after these bad losses, as Sam said, and are still fighting and being irritating to opposition teams because you would expect there to have been a bit of a drop-off. But, yeah, Gemma Lewis must be must have the, the gift of the gab to be able to amp them up and get them to come out each week and to get the compliments from the likes of, of Rado and, and Ante. So, yeah, thumb, double thumbs up to Wellington. They're, they're very cute. I love them. I think they'll be great um, in the coming seasons. One, just a word on City. They just have looked so strong defensively, and I know they're going to lose Winona Heatley. Um potentially for, well, for at least one game, if not longer, depending on if she cracks the Asian Cup squad. But I think that's one thing that's been a real standout about them. They're not leaking goals. They really make you earn it. And that's why I'm going to be so excited to watch them against Sydney FC because it's going to be, I know, the best attack probably versus the best defence. And, yeah, just we know defence wins championships historically. So if they maintain the rage like they have, and Leah Davidson's just been such a pest like in midfield in terms of shutting down um, some really attacking creative midfielders like we saw with Alex Chidiak a, a couple of weeks ago. I think they are putting themselves in a, in a really, really good position um, as the season builds and as they head towards um, head towards finals. So, yeah, we'll watch this space areas in the dub at the moment. I think also with City, like with Winona Heatley leaving, you're just like, oh, you just put Naomi Shinema straight in there. Like I think that they've really, Rado's made a really balanced squad. So I'm not too stressed for them in that regard. And that that will be a real weapon moving forward. With, Chelsea Blissett. Chelsea oh, Blissett's yep. looked really good too um, since she's made her return, which is such a good news story because she's such a lovely girl and she had the the ACL setback, and it's, it's just great to see young players, as we know, come through, especially centre-backs. It's of particular interest to us as Matilda's watchers. So, yeah, no, it's, it's really impressive, the squad that I think that they've put together and that's really it is really starting to come to fruition now they've had some time to sort of settle and, and get things really working. Um, I have a question for you guys, actually, um, which relates more to the dub. To borrow a phrase from Anna, so from Sydney, victory. Actually, I think I just answered my own question. And um, City, who do you think will drop the bundle the most in the absence of these um, youngsters who've been smashing it heading over to Dubai and possibly India? Harsh because victory already dropped the bundle once That's, <laughs> before losing yeah. those players. So I don't, I don't know if I can actually say. <laughs> They're going to drop the bundle twice. Oh, no. Pick up the ice cream after it's been on the ground. It's difficult because I think it really depends on whether they get picked. Like um, at the moment, uh, City, for example, if if McNamara and Heatley um, go for training camp and then come back, they'll miss one game, I think, against Adelaide and then and then be back. It really it really does depend, like if they get fully fully picked or or not. Um, it depends on that, and I think it also depends on contingency drop plans. the bundle. No, no, we both sort of cut, but you just said it depends on contingency plans. And 
I don't think either of those teams are going to drop the bundle because I think they're both very well organised and um, maybe more about um, about structure and team rather than necessarily exceptional individuals. I think the um, Sydney, I probably would worry more about just because Vine has been so good, like incredible, and Simpson. Um, hasn't been quite as heralded, but as you said, Sam, has shown more strings to her bow, has been delivering assists as well as some goals. And they're very, very difficult players to replace. I know they've got Rojas in, in particular as one of those options, but I think when you see their substitutions come on, it's just not the same flow that it has when Vine and Seamson. I don't think it means they're going to drop their bundle, but I think it's going to get a bit more difficult and maybe they're not going to be trouncing teams. But, you know, they've still got players like Mackenzie Hawksby and City, I think it's to a lesser extent. Um, both have been very good, but they can s- sort of slot Chelsea Blisser into their defence at least. Um, it's as good as Heatley has been. I think Czech is the one that sort of holds the whole thing together. And um, McNamara is going to be difficult to replace, though, because she just creates so much with the way she takes the game on. But for them, I think their defensive solidity has been, has been really the key. So I, I don't think either of them. There's such a... A half-assed way to answer it, Angela. I don't think either of those two teams are going to drop their bundle, and this victory I have the would have the most concerns over. Yeah, I agree. But just to sort of yeah bounce off that, Haro. Um, in terms of the clubs that have Plan Bs, I feel more confident that Sydney and City have a better Plan B than what Victory have, and that's partly due to the fact that we've already seen what Victory's Plan B looks like, and it still hasn't worked. <laughs> They've already dropped the plan B bundle. And so they've got, they're going to have to move to plan C. And and something that we mentioned in the last episode as well is now that there is an international window, uh, these clubs also have visa spots that are open. They have guest stint spots that are open for, I believe, six games. Uh, We've seen that used by a couple of clubs in the past. So they they might use this opportunity to bring in temporarily a couple of stop gaps. Um, to, again, replace those irreplaceable players. But, you know, when I look at Sydney, I think one of the reasons perhaps that both Cote Rojas and um, Paige Satchel were signed is because there was perhaps some forward thinking by Ante Juric and the coaching staff that this might be something they would have to deal with. And so they're they're pretty similar like-for-like replacements for a Remy Seamson and a Courtney Vine in terms of their style of play. Um, but the other good thing I think with Sydney is that they're not overly reliant on them to generate results. We saw that again in the most recent game against Perth. You know, Mackenzie Hawksby is their current top goal scorer. Uh, they've got goal scorers all over the park and so did Melbourne City. Whereas I think the issue with victory is that now, particularly with the loss of Lynn Williams, whose loan spell has just ended, they're going to be very heavily reliant on Catherine Zimmerman to try and get results. Um, and I, I don't like, I think she's a stunning player. She's amazing, but I think other teams have probably figured it out. Um, and victory's defense is just not as convincing to me as Sydney's and cities. So I'm of the three clubs who have been most heavily hit by the Asian cup. I think victory are going to be the one if they, if any of them do, that's going to fall out of the top four. Just on kind of City and Sydney, we could argue that they're kind of, they've been affected in similar ways, but are they still the kind of 
is it basically it's between is it a two horse race is it a two horse light blue race are these the two teams that will be battling out for the championship so i'm gonna just quick yes or no round the zoom angela is it city and sydney's basically yes or no yes <laughs> sam no oh that's spicy hannah no I, i'm with sam <laughs> oh it's two pods in a row i don't don't like this um yeah i it's it's not can, i mean can we elaborate <laughs> It's too, it's too early. I think you look, yeah. we'll talk about Adelaide in a minute, um, but they seem like they're starting to fire on all cylinders. They got Dylan Holmes. They are starting to get that midfield balance right. Um, they haven't lost players to Asian Cup. That's um, the big one. They're a good team. They've, they've stopped. You're going to have to do an explicit warning here, Marissa. They've stopped shitting the bed in the first 15 minutes of games, <laughs> which I think has been the big thing for them. They're not conceding so early and having to play catch up. Um, I, I know that every year I'm like, mm, I don't know if this is going to be the year that Adelaide make the finals. I think pre-season I said, nah. But this is a team that looks a lot more solid than in previous years. They've, they've, they've found their footing. And um, I think if you looked statistically at, at that game against Canberra, you'd be like, mm, I don't know about that. But, yeah, I think it's too, it's too early to write off other teams. Um, I think victory looked very shaky, but there's enough quality there for them still to be a threat come finals, and they know how to do it in finals, very similar to Sydney FC. Um, doesn't necessarily mean they'll win it, but it, they could cause upsets. And I don't know about Brisbane. I don't understand them. Um, but if they make it, they've got enough sort of quality there to maybe cause some problems as well. Um, Sam? Yeah, completely agree. I I wouldn't write off Adelaide. Um, And I think one of the big things is the fact that the top three at the moment, Sydney, City and Melbourne, are the three clubs who are losing players and who are going to be not just to Matildas, but to the end of loans and all that sort of stuff. So those are the... and. Those are the clubs who are losing players who've made some of the biggest impact as well, particularly Sydney. They're losing one of their top goal scorers and their top assistant in Courtney Vine and Remy Simpson. So how you replace them and whether the replacements are able to do the job in maintaining the pace that Sydney currently have on the rest of the league is going to be the thing that determines where they finish. They'll still finish in final spots, absolutely, but where they finish is going to be very different I think now that they've lost these players and for how long they're going to lose them as well um but yeah Adelaide are finding their groove they're finding goals they're finding consistency and they're just they're looking like the kind of team who can really snatch points from those kinds of bigger clubs now and I also wouldn't necessarily write off Newcastle I think Newcastle are a bit of a a dark horse when it comes to this conversation yes they're going to be losing Emily Van Egmont to Matildas and then to the NWSL but they've also got some of probably the best internationals in the league Marie Dolvik is a fantastic player and Elizabeth Eddy, I think, is making a big impact for them as well. So if they're able to find some, some momentum over the back half of the season, I think they could potentially make a, a run at finals as well. So, yeah, I'm ex- which is great. Like, this is what you want. You don't want predictability. You don't want it to be like men's football where it's like, well, clearly it's going to be them and then the rest. You don't want that. It's boring. And so, like, I'm, I'm keen for this to happen. I'm keen to see which other clubs other than Melbourne Victory, sorry, drop the bundle. It's a chaos league by nature, and it should stay that way. The only exceptions have been really when um, when Melbourne City had their crazy years. 
like which was the first year they were in and a couple of years back. Like it's, 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 the dub is at its best when it's chaotic, when you get the circle of dub, as Marissa would put it. Like, so it's, yeah, it's exciting. I think it's probably a good way to sort of segue into Adelaide chat because um, they, it's weird. If you looked at the stats from that game, you'd be like, Canberra, what, what were you doing? Like, you have so many shots and Adelaide have beaten you on the scoreboard relatively comfortably. But, yeah, Adelaide, I, I, I'm not writing them off, as we said before. They, they seem to have found a good balance. Like, it's not just Fiona Wirtz trying to create every chance and hitting them at the keeper, which happened a lot in the first couple of games. They've got a bit of variety happening. Um, Matilda McNamara had a pretty, I think, poor start to the season compared to last year, but seems to have settled a little bit. I think finding a bit more of a balance in midfield. And that goal from Dylan Holmes was super as well on the weekend, the very instinctive finish. And um, we talked last week, Sam, you did in particular about Chelsea Dorber and her sort of finding her feet and her scoring boots has really alleviated some pressure. And we, I think we've talked about it with a couple of different clubs. It goes a long way to helping things out when you start to convert some chances. And, yeah, they just seem like they're in a really good position, um, a really, really good space. As I said, I think last week, maybe having that bit of a, a break because of games getting postponed and the like allowed Dylan Holmes to get fit, to settle in, and them to work out how they wanted their midfield to to work. And it's, it's exciting to watch. Canberra, on the other hand, Angela thoughts I just want I'm not I'm just I'm not dismissing Adelaide and I think I'm with Sam I think Adelaide and Nui are the best team for finals yep but yeah victory anyway but um Canberra yeah Canberra hmm. so like I literally don't know what's happening there because I was just thinking I was like I need to see all of their starting 11s for the season like in front of me to see what where the movement has been. And that's the really confusing thing because obviously they moved from that back four. Um, well, they had back four first two games and then they had the Roni break, like a postponement, and then they came back and it was a back three. And in, if you think of Canberra as like a Zoomy team, that sort of makes sense. But then the decisions around who's in that back three and then also who's going into their midfield has been very confusing. So we've talked about Carly Rossbacken in the, the AFC pod. And she's, for me, I think someone that you would want to play more centrally, but she's been playing as a wingback. And I'm like, I pers- personally would not be playing her there. And it's just, yeah, they've, and like, for example, yeah, there's just been a lot of movement and no consistency. And I'm wondering if that just means that there's the combinations aren't, happening as they need to and they do have I think one of their strengths as a team is they have some really excellent midfielders so central midfielders like Grace Ma and um, Laura Hughes are the two that come to mind Um, but they're not playing in a formation where the two of them can sort of work as a unit and sort of unlock defences that's sort of been left to the likes of an Alira Toby pairing with a Michelle Heyman and to her credit I think Alira Toby has done really well but yeah, it's a little bit, It, I don't know. And I feel like they've gotten, they actually haven't improved as well. I feel like their performance that we just saw against Adelaide was like when we opened the season in the first quarter, I was like, oh, I really like the like passing combo. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm not like, I don't see that anymore. I don't, I, mm, yeah, they seem to be unclicking, coming, coming undone at the seams. And also Michelle Heyman hasn't been finishing which could be potentially a thing, but Sam mentioned this in our preview pod 
you need more of a plan than get ball to Michelle Heyman, Michelle Heyman score. And maybe that's where someone like an Ash Sykes is like such an asset for this team because she can do, she can work magic and score goals. But yeah, it's just, it's a a confusing one. I think also Ash Sykes not being at full fitness um, could play a big part of this as well. If you're playing in that back five and you want someone with that acceleration, Ash Sykes would be it, but she just hasn't been playing as many minutes as perhaps would be expected. But yeah, Anna? They're missing Nikki Flannery as well, uh, who had such a good year last year and got called into obviously the talent ID camp where she did an A um, off the back of a really good season. And Jess Nash as well was excellent at Canberra last year and now sort of playing right back at Sydney, though I think that would change probably a little bit now with injuries and uh, unavailabilities happening. But they were they were both really important players for Canberra last year. And the Flannery... Um, Last year, obviously, as you say, Sykes hasn't really hit full fitness, whereas last season Flannery had such a good year and was such a good foil for Heyman and so good out wide, obviously, pace and skill and could, could score some really nice goals as well and as well as create. So it's just a couple of those pieces that are missing and, it yeah, it just it's just not working. <laughs> I think you've summarised it really well, Angela. Like it, I'm kind of confused as to what Vicky Linton wants you know, like what is the, what is the, to use Tony Gustafson's phrasing, what is the picture that she's wanting to paint that everyone needs to see? I don't see it. And particularly when it comes to the midfield, the midfield has been this bizarre conglomeration of players that don't have chemistry together and they're not being played in the positions that they flourish in. I, like, I think Laura Hughes, as you mentioned, Angela, is one of the best midfielders, not just in Canberra, but in the whole league. She's been playing with Grace Marf for several years. I don't know why you would separate them. And then I also don't know why you wouldn't have a natural defensive midfielder that then allows someone as creative and as technical as a Grace Marf to move further up the field and create more goal scoring opportunities. It's Instead, it seems like Linton has been relying very heavily on Chelsea Washington whose role I don't really understand. She sort of just has free reign to do whatever she wants. And maybe that's the privilege of being an American import. I don't know. Um, And like on the side of that, Chloe Middleton, I don't think has had a particularly good season either. And yet she continues to start in that midfield position ahead of Hughes and shuffling things around. So it just feels like it's, yeah, it's all sort of coming undone. Things, the the pieces aren't fitting together. The colours are off. It's just, yeah, I, and I just don't like it. I don't really like how I feel when I watch Canberra play because we know what they can be and this is clearly not that. And so I'm like, well, what's the what's the thing? What's the, but it's, it's many different things. It's the loss of players. It's using different combinations. It's a different kind of formation and style. I don't know. I don't, I just, I don't like it. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. It's like Vicky Linton may very well have a plan and be trying to do something here, but either it's, yeah, it's, it's not working. It's not translating. Um, and also maybe the, the late inclusion of Carly Ross back and meant that she thought she could do something different. Like she had a new player to work with, but like I said, I don't think that Ross Barkin has been used particularly effectively. Let's talk a little bit about the Western Sydney Wanderers' win over Brisbane. It was a 1-0 win, a Bradley Henry penalty. It was really 
it felt like it was very emblematic of Brisbane season where they had a lot of chances and they simply did not score and the Wanderers got that goal and then kind of held on for dear life and they held on successfully. So, Sam, some initial thoughts on this game. It was not a good game. (laughs) It was just from either team. It just wasn't good. It was hot as well. I think that really played a big part in why both teams looked quite lethargic. It was it was really warm up in Brisbane. Um, But yeah, it was just sort of it was the same problems coming back to bite the raw. They had twice over twice as many shots as what the Wanderers did three times as many shots on target but they just couldn't put the ball in the net. And I like, it's, it's, it's frustrating. I mean, to the Wanderers credit, I do think that they defended better than what they have in previous games. I thought Sarah Langman in goal was particularly good. She made a couple of really crucial saves. Um, And Claire Hunt was really good at center back as well. I thought she was really impressive, very commanding in that space, which is what the Wanderers need. Um, But it was just, it was, it's the same same feeling as what I get watching Canberra. I'm just like I don't I don't like this. It seems like Brisbane are just making the same mistakes over and over. They have good build up and then just final third decision making just goes out the window. And the Wanderers just they they still just are really struggling to put together a full ninety minute performance where they don't look like they're going to absolutely fall apart. You know, like I don't feel comfortable watching the Wanderers play because I'm like, well, something's gonna happen and they're gonna ship five, you know, and that's just the way that it's gonna be. Um, but again, they've also come back from a COVID scare and it's there's been a lot of stuff happening off off the field with the club and that's probably taken a toll on them as well and travel and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was just, it wasn't a fun game to watch. It wasn't particularly um, stylistically. It wasn't particularly nice tactically. It was just a bit meh. Um, and in terms of the quality of the players as well, yeah, I was just like, mm, yeah, yeah. A single positive was uh, Briley Henry, I think, taking responsibility and stepping up and dobbing that penalty. Yeah. She got she got interviewed post-match and basically said, well, I just knew that I had to score because we need a win and we have to score some goals. And uh, I like that she was able to sort of grasp the magnitude of that um, that penalty in terms of Western Sydney season and embrace it. Um, obviously, she's got a taste of the Matilda. She's not going to be in the Asian Cup squad, but she um, made her debut and had a couple of cameos um, off the bench, obviously. But I do like seeing a young player want to take the responsibility on and of course she did sink the penalty as well so we love to see that (laughs) when Kat Matilda score penalties it's a good thing um so yeah as you say Sam otherwise meh but I did enjoy seeing Briley Henry take on that responsibility and and score the penalty it's a good sign for a young player I'll add just something real brief The thing that I think is most intriguing, just switching the focus a little bit to Brisbane, is that all of their talk seems to be like, we think it's going to happen. We think it's going to happen soon. Like, we don't know why it isn't happening at the moment. So I think it's interesting that they feel as maybe confused as we do about why it hasn't kick-started properly yet. Like, we've seen a couple of maybe false dawns, but they seem to be a little bit confused as well as to why it hasn't clicked and it isn't working and it isn't kind of moving as it should or as we we all expect it to. 
And it kind of, if you're Melbourne victory, it probably makes you feel even worse about dropping your bundle in that game a couple of weeks ago and then nearly losing to them the first time around as well. It makes you go, oh, geez, there's a, a bit to work on here if the team that's struggling to to score is putting four past you and one and uh, a couple more past you and another. Like, it, it um, yeah, maybe just when you look at the big picture, you go, geez, it, it's emblematic of other team struggles too. I think one of the parallels between Brisbane and Western Sydney in this sense is that their starting centre forward has not been great. Larissa Crummer hasn't been delivering for Brisbane. Briley Henry hasn't been delivering for the Wanderers. And yet they continue to be used. They continue to be used in that central starting number nine role. And whether it's through a lack of experience, a lack of fitness, just a lack of ability, they aren't able to do the role that perhaps they are expected to do or to fill the shoes of the players who have left behind. So obviously Larissa Crummer is no Emily Gilnick. And as much as I am sort of loath to say it, you know, Lena Karmas was a really important player for the Wanderers last season. She scored a couple of goals and, and had a lot of fight and a lot of momentum to her and a lot of gravity in terms of everyone around her knew what she could do and they could rely on her to do certain things. Whereas I don't think Briley Henry has either the maturity or the sort of physicality that's required for that kind of football. Um, but again, this is this is her first season where she's actually being started regularly. And I can only hope and assume that she's going to continue to grow now that she understands that this is the level that's required. This is the physicality. This is the speed. This is everything that she needs to do. And now she needs to continue to add goals and assists and other kinds of important attacking statistics to a game if she actually does want to crack into the Matildas because like it's all well and good to impress coaches at youth level but if you get to the A-League women's and you're not able to deliver you know this is the level you're going to stay at. That's this round of A-League women. We have another round of A-League women just around the corner and by the looks of it none of them have been ronied yet fingers crossed so we should have five full fixtures to enjoy so we've got Adelaide hosting Melbourne City Sydney will take on Canberra Western Sydney will host Melbourne Victory the Knicks will take on Brisbane Raw and Newcastle will play Perth Glory so we can't wait to chat about those next week but for now let's move into some boots all right so let's start first off with the AFC. Sam, I'm going to handball this one to you because you wrote about it. Please boot the AFC. (laughs) So I think it's one of football's worst kept secrets that the AFC are just really crap in a lot of ways. Uh, Today, today being Wednesday, we're recording, I had an article come out uh, at ABC about uh, the upcoming Asian Cup and the fact that it is the first tournament in almost 50 years where the women's competition is being given prize money. Um, One thing that I didn't actually mention in the article itself was that it was only in 2019 that the men's competition was given prize money. So the AFC haven't just been real lazy when it comes to rewarding Asia's best women's teams, but they've also been real lax when it comes to the men's. But Regardless of the timeline, the fact that uh, the winning, uh, the top four teams of the Women's Asian Cup receive just under $1.5 million in total compared to the men's who receive just under $15 million in total. 
speaks to the much larger, much deeper structural inequalities that continue to impede women's football across Asia. And the, the Asian Cup is one of the biggest, most visible platforms that Asia has to really make its mark on the rest of the world and to show global football that we are competitive, that we have great footballers here, but the AFC continue to shoot themselves in the foot when it comes to stuff like this. So in my article, I wrote about how prize money, as it is elsewhere in the world, whether it's World Cups, whether it's other continental competitions, sort of the tip of an iceberg when it comes to um, fleshing out deeper um, disparities that keeps women's football in particular from flourishing. The fact that, for example, we still don't have a Women's Asian Champions League is pretty stunning. The fact that uh, the vast majority of women's leagues across Asia are still only semi-professional, while leagues in the United States and in Europe are galloping away, as well as in South America, I might say. And the AFC have a lot of power when it comes to this sort of stuff. It's not that they don't have the resources. They rake in hundreds of millions of dollars per year. It's not that they don't have the uh, sort of governance power or the legal power in order to do things because you have to register with the AFC if you want to play football in Asia at all. They can change things. They have a really big hammer that they can whack people with, but they just refuse to do it. So hopefully we're going to start to talk about the importance of not just the Asian Cup, particularly for women's teams who rely quite heavily on national team income as opposed to club-based income, which men's footballers often get most of their um, revenue from. But we're going to hopefully start to have a wider conversation about the responsibility the AFC has to growing the women's game. Because while we've been talking about, you know, FIFA and the Women's World Cup and how great it is that it's coming to Australia and New Zealand, where have the AFC been in all this? How are they going to be capitalising on the fact that Asia is co-hosting a Women's World Cup? How are they going to improve women's football? Where is their ring-fenced funding? Where are their long-term strategies? I've heard crickets from the AFC when it comes to a lot of stuff over the past 18 months, and I think a lot of other people have as well. So hopefully shining a bit of a spotlight on this particular issue of prize money is going to encourage more and more people to shine some other spotlights on areas that the AFC are failing at as well. Big old boot to them. All right, that was one boot and a big old boot at that. Harrow, another boot? Oh, this is a predictable boot, isn't it? Uh, of course, it's men's football that has delivered us this uh, this moment. Um, obviously, um, in late October, Josh Cavallo, who's an Australian midfielder slash defender for Adelaide United, became um, the first and, well, currently only active um, openly gay player in a men's top tier football league and I believe in all the top sort of football men's football code leagues in Australia as well including obviously AFL NRL etc and obviously just had that outpouring of support and headlines from all around the world um, which are fantastic and he was so well supported and you know there was obviously a lot of love and it was so well done with Adelaide United but unfortunately, there's always someone who has to ruin it by yelling homophobic abuse. And as Josh uh, said on Instagram and Twitter on Sunday, that came in Saturday night's A-League men game, um, away to Melbourne victory at Amy Park. Um, just to quote a little bit of what Josh said, um, I'm not going to pretend that I didn't see or hear the homophobic abuse at the game last night. There are no words to tell you how disappointed I was. 
As a society, it shows we still face these problems in 2022. This shouldn't be acceptable and we need to do more to hold these people accountable. Hate will never win. I will never apologise for living my truth and most recently who I am outside of football. Um, and basically just told, you know, anyone who's gay and has received homophobic abuse to keep holding their head high. Um, the only really pleasing thing that has come out of that was Josh mentioned he had said he did have some people reach out to him that had uh, basically, I think, told a few of these uh, individuals to shut up or had reported it um, and that actually reached out to him and let him know, which which is encouraging. But obviously the main talking point here is, homophobic abuse coming from the stands and he also received it on social media he's um by the sounds of things you know there's been obviously little moments that have happened and um Nathan Kuzmina the Adelaide CEO did a press conference the other day it was said that there's obviously been little moments but this um to Josh I think felt like a very targeted um bit from a, a group of Melbourne Victory uh, men's fans which is which is so, it's just, yeah, it felt like it might happen at some point, but it's just so disappointing that it has. Um, credit to Adelaide United for the way they've condemned it. It's obviously been universally condemned by Adelaide United, Melbourne Victory, um, and the leagues, so the APL, um, the FA, the FA, the, the PFA, and obviously plenty of people like you and me, um, which is fantastic. The, the really disappointing thing is we haven't seen any condemnation coming from Melbourne Victory's active support group um, who call themselves Original Style Melbourne, who um, are obviously known for being very, just very loud and vocal and provide obviously a, a great atmosphere generally at, at Victory Games. And um, it, it kind of is a bit reminiscent of the whole Tegan Micah bottles throwing situation about a year or about a year or so ago now um, when um, we just didn't see, it was a different media team at Melbourne Victory then. So we didn't see any sort of, real responsibility bar from Jeff Hopkins on the day, sort of, you know, condemning it from a club perspective. And there was a very defensive attitude from a lot of the active fans. And we've just heard crickets. And this is an active, you know, support group that will put out statements if they're not allowed to have a TIFO at a derby. So it's, it's, it's really disappointing. I'm not saying that these fans were necessarily in that group, but I think the bare minimum you should be doing is condemning this sort of behaviour and showing that you don't stand for it. Um, I've seen a little bit of commentary from some fans that the terrace is, quote, apolitical. It's not political to not be homophobic. It's, it's literally the bare minimum to show that you have people's backs, that you support them, and that you condemn this stuff within your ranks because, one, it limits the – one, it's just the right thing to do. Two, it limits your potential base of people to draw from if you're not letting people feel welcome. And we're, we're all worse off for it. So – um, the good thing is there is action being taken. I know Adelaide and uh, Victory and Amy Park and all that are looking through security footage, obviously CCTV to try and pick out some of the perpetrators. And it seems pretty common across all of these organisations that bans are going to be what get handed out if, you know, they are actually able to find who did it. Um, and the good thing is Josh has got a lot of support at Adelaide and from his players' union and from the playing cohort. So, Yeah. But a, just a big old boot of people who think that sort of stuff is okay, then it's acceptable. Um, and it's no, it, it, it doesn't matter that Josh Cavallo had gone down injured. He copped a bit of a stray elbow to the head and had blurry vision in one eye and had to get assessed for concussion. And I think that's when a lot of the vitriol might have really come because it was late in a game, time wasting, whatever. Doesn't excuse it. <laughs> it's just not acceptable. And uh, yeah, massive old boot to that. And let's not see it again, please. The 
I hate saying the good thing that came from this, but as you kind of mentioned, was the widespread condemnation from every kind of important group and just from regular folks. But again, because when he came out, it was an international story, this once again kind of garnered international attention. So it did turn into a little bit of a how good. Angela, did you want to talk about this little how good that has come from this? Yeah, um, I suppose when we think about homophobia in sport, I don't know, I harp on a bit about this, but like it's not just about being inclusive to the LGBTQIA community, but also marking that space out and making it known that that is what you are about. You're not just putting it in a statement when it comes up and also um, making that environment unsafe for <laughs> homophobes, which is the issue we're, we're seeing with this um Joshua Cavallo situation that it's not being addressed. But on the other side of that, there's been a very positive thing. Um, so Joshua Cavallo posted on his Instagram and I think his other social media a couple of days ago. And thank you to friend of the pod, Illy, for sending this through to me. Um, his junior soccer club, Brighton, Brighton Soccer Club, who are in Melbourne. So yes, that's Brighton. That's that very Broughton, um, they have partnered with Proud to Play. So Proud to Play are an advocacy group who's, um, they have a few different things that they do, but they're really about ensuring that LGBTQIA um, people are able to access sport because there's a big disparity um, for reasons such as homophobia and not feeling welcome where a lot of LGBTQIA folks aren't. Um, playing sport and obviously missing out on a lot of the the joys and the positives from having those having sport in their lives if they would so like to so yeah it's um great to see Brighton do this they're one of the biggest community soccer clubs in Melbourne they've got a massive junior base and so this partnership with Proud to Play is you know directing people towards an organization where they can learn more and um have a positive impact if they so wish, but it's also doing that work of being like, this is what we're about very clearly. You are welcome here. And this is sort of a statement of intent from them as well. So proud to play logos will be on Brighton Soccer Club's um, shirt sleeves, I believe. Um, so yeah, really awesome stuff from Brighton Soccer Club and from proud to play. Um, recommend checking them out. This is, um, yeah, fighting homophobia and all kinds of discrimination against um lgbtqia it's, it's a long acronym um folks in sport that's their whole thing and they do a lot of wonderful work so yeah a how good to that absolutely sam do you want to offer up a quick how good yeah speaking of footballers and football aligning with good causes uh Maybe a little bit of out of sight, out of mind, but an update on Raleigh Dobson. So she's been retired from the A-League women's competition for a year, but her advocacy in the cancer space continues. This week, uh, she completed the Big Three Trek, which is a fundraising initiative uh, organised in association with the McGrath Foundation. It's a 150-kilometre walk from Newcastle to Sydney over the course of three days, and it finishes at the SCG during the Pink Test, which is something that cricketer Glenn McGrath uh, tried to establish or did establish after the loss of his wife to breast cancer. So the Big Three have been doing this for a number of years now. They have lots of athletes, lots of celebrities who get on board, including Riley Dobson. 
Um, and this year they raised just under $130,000 for cancer research and family support, which is absolutely wonderful. Another shout out again to Raleigh. It's such a feel good story. I hope that if you're listening, Raleigh, that you and Matt are doing well. And thank you so much for all the good work that you continue to do with your platform and your legacy, because it was such an important moment of visibility for the issue when it came to that wonderful proposal that we all remember went viral last season, her last game for Melbourne City before retiring to take care of her partner. Um, and she continues to do really good work in this space. So no, a bit of a feel good moment off the field. How yeah, good. Just to clarify, is that 150 Ks in a row? Like together it's, how does it work it's a big so, number yeah so there's um, presumably it's 150k from Newcastle to Sydney and they have like stop off points but they but it's just one long like road Angela's face right now, listeners, is one of absolute. The woman was too stunned to speak. (laughs) Is Angela with a real? Yeah, happy for you or sad that that happened, but that's too long for me. (laughs) Not for me. Yeah, not for me. But props to Raleigh because, yeah, it's one of those, um, yeah, throw throw money at that. Oh, my God, walking up here. It is an awful lot of kilometres, which makes it an even more impressive achievement. So how good to Raleigh. But that's enough from us this week. Remember, oh, no, I have a basic how good. Um, my real Anna basic, has a basic how good. My real basic how good is the Tillies are back together and those um, four players from the W League that are the W League, the four players from the A League women that are competing for the last two spots are just <laughs> bonked. My uh, screen meant to be my head. Uh, right in the thick of things, getting into training camps and hopefully we'll know um, within the next week or so who has earned a spot. So really exciting times ahead and can't wait to see um, which of those four players or which two of those four players, um, Holly McNamara, Courtney Vine, Winona Heatley and Carly Ross back and can, um, can crack the Matildas and hopefully really make a super exciting impact um, in India this year. So, yeah, the, the Tilly's back and some of the faces that we've loved watching in um, in the A-League women this season, getting their chance to potentially feature. How good? Very good. How good. And if you want to listen to us talk about the Tilly squad and those invitees, there is an episode ready for you. It's called Why Ivy Lewick, How Ivy Lewick, What Ivy Lewick from Memory. But yeah, you'll find it. You'll see it. It's there in your feed. Remember, you can find that on Spotify, Apple and Google. You can also find it on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app because that's where we are. If you would like to talk to us, we are at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, see yous.